Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up, and welcome to this episode of Social Jello with Angelo. What is Kaju Kembo? Now, I run the Social Jello with Angelo podcast, but it's not the Kaju Kembo podcast, but I'm always talking about Kaju Kembo. And I realize I always tell people to Google Kaju Kembo. So today I have Rob do, oh my gosh, Roland, Rob Roland. I'm not even going to try to say whatever last name you put there. And also uh, I have John Hackleman and Ron Esteller. Um, Ron, GM, GM Ron, is that right? Grandmaster Ron Esteller. If you want to go there? I, I, I don't go there. <laughs> is that is Grandmaster John Hackleman? Is that is that right, John? I'm the pitmaster. He's the pitmaster. He say no. He's the pitmaster. Okay. So, um, what, promoted. <laughs> one thing I do want to say before we get started, I want to congratulate John on some excellent work. Congratulations with uh, with Glover and his championship in the UFC. That's just awesome. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Very. Very oh. good, uh, very good representation of uh, Kaju Kempo, actually, the lineage. Yeah, yeah, that was that was just awesome. So before we get started, before we start talking, I, I always tell my listeners when I mention Kaju Kempo, I'm like, just Google it and uh, and you'll see what it is. So let's Google it. Um, share my screen. I Googled it here. So let's see here. Share. Let's get out of Facebook real quick. And uh, can, can you all see my screen right now? Is that is that visible? And there's a picture of John. <laughs> <laughs> no, Who's I did not. Guy? Seriously, I didn't. Okay, I didn't plan this. I Googled. If you if you look at my screen, I just Googled Kaji Kembo and a picture of John shows up. Also, a picture of uh, Renato shows up here, too, in the corner. And we just scroll down. It says Kaji Kembo is a hybrid martial art from Hawaii. It was developed in the late 1940s and founded in 1947 in the Palama settlement of Palama, Hawaii. The name Kajukembo is a combination of various arts from which style is derived, Ka for karate, Ju for judo, and Jiu-Jitsu, Ken for Kempo, and Bo for boxing. And then from there, the Wikipedia page will go into a long spiel of a bunch of other stuff in history. But my last podcast, uh, we were I wasn't trying to do it about Kajukembo. It was just about us drinking. And for some reason, we ended up in the horrid waters of what is Kajukembo. And I avoided as much as I could the conversation because I didn't want to get all serious. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I decided maybe I should have a whole podcast about it. And that's why you guys are here. Um, so what is your definition of Kajukembo? Let's start with uh, Ron. What's your definition of Kajukembo? Um, that it's not a style, but a mindset. All right. All right. There's there's curriculum and there's different curriculum, but there wasn't at the beginning. Does there have to be? You know, that's I think that's the good thing about it is it's left up to each individual branch style person. And uh it fits you fit it, it doesn't fit you. That's just my take. All right. Well, how about what's your definition of Kaja Campbell, John? What's the other guy's name with the on the end with the, the beard? With the beard, uh, uh, Rob. That's Rob. Rob. The young guy's Rob. Hey. Yeah. Rob. yeah <laughs> okay. So what's my uh, 
Um, I mean, I guess the literal definition would be, you know, karate, judo, jujitsu, kempo, boxing. Um, it is a, you know, I grew up in Hawaii. I started really young there and uh, I started with Kaju Kempo young. Um, and it was a, it was a mindset. Uh, like Grandmaster said, it's a, it's a mindset. And it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a very strict mindset back in, in my, my day, the early seventies there, um, there was a lot of, uh, probably because of my branch, not my branch, but the branch that I came through, it was a very violent, uh, mindset. Um, saw a lot of brutal things happen in and out of competitions. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't your, your, your typical karate kid Miyagi. It was, it wasn't a, a nice bunch of guys. Um, and let's not forget, I mean, it was started for, you know, it was started with a bunch of locals, not to protect themselves. It was so they could go to Hotel Street on the weekends and beat up the Howleys, you know? And those Howleys were military guys and I happen to be a Howley. But so it's kind of, it was kind of uh, ironic that that's where I got my start and that's where I started martial arts and it formed me like it did um, because that's how it started. So, I mean, you can't, I mean, you could try to deny it. Oh, it was for self-righteous, you know, you're, we were this and that. And it, there were, there were a bunch of bad guys in, in Kaja Kempo in the beginning. And when I say bad, I mean, rowdy. They weren't like, you know, I, I guess they're, I mean, you know, they were just a bunch of rowdy guys that liked to fight on the weekends, you know, and they tried their arts out. Um, you know, on Hotel Street, anybody's been to Hotel Street, especially back in the day, they know that that was the place where all the bars, tattoo shops, brothels, strip joints, you know, that's where all, every, you know, the hookers hung out in Hotel Street. And that's where the military guys went on their weekends and they would, you know, show up at the bar with the locals and, you know, turn into a fight. And the locals started with the Kaju Kempo and learning their ways, you know, their different, their, their art. So it was a very violent art to me in the beginning. Um, but, but, but since, I mean, everybody has their own moral compass and, and I took, I took, what I took from it was the violent part of it to protect myself, my family, keep my lunch money and stuff. So I, I tried not to be, the guy that used it for bad and to go down to bars and try it out. I used it more to prevent people from taking my lunch money. So that's a long winded uh, response. Oh, that's that's, that's like, okay. That's what I want you here. That was honestly longer than my last sexual encounter. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, all right. So who's next? All right. That's Kaju Kembo to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So Rob, um, what is what is Kaju Kembo? What is your definition of Kaju Kembo? What John just said. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the, your last sexual encounter or the <laughs> 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 um, kind of. I think I think Kaju Kembo is a philosophy. Like Ron was saying, it is a mindset. And I think that mindset is 
to a, a, approach violence with greater, more explosive violence. You know, it's not about this, not the way of peace. It's not the way of avoidance. It's if you chest up to me, we're going to have a problem. And that's not going to be, I'm not going to be done until you're on the ground. And even then I'm probably not done. So it, I think that's a mindset, right? The mindset part of Kaju Kembo is overwhelming explosive violence. So that takes it out from being Aikido. It's on, only barely judo, only barely jujitsu, right? It's about engagement and destruction. And then in pract- practical terms, I think Kaju Kembo is a system that approaches striking through a mixture and in, in various orders of karate, kempo, boxing, uh, with a little bit of Kung Fu at the end, depending on which branch you're coming from, right? Uh, approaches grappling mostly through judo and then jujitsu as in Japanese and Hawaiian jujitsu styles. And then now we're starting to bring in some more Brazilian jujitsu. And then we approach weapons mostly from Filipino martial arts, as well as, you know, again, depending on what branch you're from, Chinese styles and of course katanas because everyone loves playing with katanas, right? But it's a system that approaches the three ranges of fighting, you know, striking, grappling, and clinching through those various arts. You know, you can't really do taekwondo as your striking guard and still call it kajukembo. So that's where I think the system comes from. But I think within that you have a lot of a lot of play, right? You can favor kung fu expression more than you can favor the kempo expression, but it's got to be a mixture. And then See, that's, to where the, that's where the young, the young comp part comes in. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but that's where the young, <laughs> because when I started, um, and I agree with almost everything he said, it was uh, because there was get him go to the ground and go to, you know, Godin and the other Kajikembo guys that would train us always talked about animal instinct, animal instinct. And they would do their techniques on the ground and there'd be this, that, get the eye socket. It was crazy shit. And, you know, a fucking nine-year-old kid, I'd be like, oh, shit. Um, but uh, but in, in, to me, in the older days, there was no soft, soft art or kung fu. Like, there was no Sifu, Sigung, Sijo, or any of that. That came later, I think, was Dacascos or Eric Lee or something brought it to the mainland. But when I was in Hawaii... No instructor was ever called Sifu or anything. It was, it was instructor, chief, instru- well, it was junior instructor, chief instructor, or instructor, uh, senior instructor, then professor, then master, grandmaster, great grandmaster. And there was, and all the, you know, the Tayokas and stuff, they'd call them Tayokas and punch tricks and grab arts. And there was no Chinese anything really, um, except for in, in the, in the descriptions, I'm sure in some of the, the older style, there was some Chinese boxing, some Chinese this, and but nobody, I'd never heard Sifu until I came to the mainland years later. And I found out later it was some Dacascos, Al Dacascos, I think. It, and, it, uh, it, 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 yeah. it was, because I was here in that era, um, in that 68-ish time, and that's, that's when that happened. Uh, Gaylord was just known as Chief. And, uh, you know, that's how he used, he went from that to professor, but that's a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about that another time, but yeah, there was, the titles weren't there and it was, it was Al that brought in the Chuanfa. He, uh, he got a lot of those forms from uh, Wong Jack man and started incorporating that stuff in. We never had that back home, back in Hawaii, back then. They probably have it now, but back in Hawaii, they never had any of that back in, 
like Goodine and Imperato and none of those guys brought in that stuff when I was a kid. So. Wait, one jock, jock man, isn't that the guy who challenged Bruce Lee? It wasn't so much the yeah. one that he challenged him, but he was the one that he fought. Yeah, he's the one, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was a long yeah. story, but he is the one who he's not the one who originally challenged him, but that's the one who ended up showing at the place. Bruce Lee was upset that he had to chase him around a bit and he wasn't really using an art. He ended up getting in a ground and pound and it looked more like a regular MMA match instead of a Kung Fu thing. And lots of he long story short, but that's running. the guy. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was actually <laughs> running. So I got some of that story from um, Ming Lum. He was known as the godfather of Chinatown in San Francisco. That's the guy with the hook hand. And he he's one of the ones that set that up and went with him. So he was part of that China, but, uh, but with, but with Bruce, right? He was good friends with um, Al Novak, who was one of Bruce's students. So um, we used to take, Gaylord used to take him out to lunch and I would drive him. So I got to be that fly on the wall hearing hearing some of their stories. So that's okay. that's a little bit of the fill-in wow. that I got from that. All right, so that's where that comes from. Well, to, to answer my own question, what is Kajikembo? Um, I guess I'll start with how I came into Kajikembo. When very similar to John, I came from a really rough area of uh, a kind of the outskirts of San Diego, not the city, but North County. And it was uh, a lot of gangs, a lot of gang violence, a lot of people getting jumped. So I already, before I got into Kajikembo, started my own fight club with my friends, and we were inviting people from local dojos just to dish it out. Like I wasn't studying anything; I just had sparring gear. Uh, read books about boxing and that's how I was doing it before and every time I'd walk into a dojo a kung fu school whatever I would walk in ask them about their program and if I didn't like what I heard I would just walk out maybe they'd offer me a trial lesson I'd stick around and they'd make me do some something I didn't necessarily like and I would leave and Kajukembo was the first place when I walked in I'd always ask about sparring. When are you guys going to spar? And they said, oh, you can't start sparring until you know, whatever, two, three, four, five, six months in some contract. I'm like, all right, well, you know, see ya. So Kajukembo was the first place I walked in when I asked that question. Um, I said, hey, when when do you guys spar? And they this Friday. I'm like, really? Like, yeah. Come on. Do, you like, do I have to have like a con? No, nope. just got to sign a waiver. Make sure you don't sue us if something happens. And you can get started. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I, I'm in. And on my first day, I went in and came in just for like a uh, Friday fight night. They had people from different schools and they would just kind of set the rules per match if they wanted to do kickboxing, MMA style or point style karate. And then they just start up. And that really made an impression on me. I got my ass kicked by a, by a brown belt named Mike Shaw. And I've been doing it ever since. So like now when people ask me what Kajukembo is, I'm in Japan. That's such a fucking hard answer. Like such a question. That's like, oh fuck. Like, okay. So I try to give him the acronym, but the acronym doesn't make sense to Japanese people because they're like, well, it's not karate. It's not at all. It's not karate at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> a Japanese person looks at what I do. They're like, that's not karate at all. Not what we're doing. And it's not judo because we know judo, and that is definitely not judo. And judo know judo. Yeah. And, that, <laughs> and, and it's not Kempo because we have this thing called Shaolin Kempo and it's nothing compared to what you're doing either. And it's definitely not boxing. So like, w what is it? So I always tell them, okay, it's an American martial art. And I, I, I start with that so that they can kind of, okay, you need to grab whatever ideas you have and we need to throw that out the window. It's an American martial art. 
and then we can start having a, a conversation about what it is. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's my answer to what is Kajakembo. Um, my next question on the roster: What was Kajakembo when you started? And uh, yeah, if I do a two part, it's gonna take forever. We'll just start with that one. What was Kajukembo when you started? And we're gonna hand this question over to to Ron. Um, it was pretty close to what I do now. I mean, um, we uh, we did do forms. He didn't do too much of the Chinese forms at that time. Gaylord didn't at all. He just stayed with his own stuff. A lot of the stuff he made up on his own. So that curriculum just kind of happened. Um, some of it was from the original that he got from when, you know, training with, uh, with, with Joe Imperato and, and Pauly Cerrone and those guys. And he didn't have it all. So he filled in a lot of blanks. Um, I just was having um, breakfast with my instructor, Jim Juarez, not long ago. And, and I was asking him about the curriculum and how it became the curriculum because Gaylord never did the same thing twice. He, you know, throw a punch and it'd be different every day on time. Go, how do we learn this stuff? It's <laughs> doing it different every single time. But that was kind of his point actually. So um, it was actually Jim, my instructor who started putting, you know, taking the notes and putting the curric curriculum together. A lot of stuff from probably grab and punch tricks one through about six are pretty close a couple of them are are swapped you know in numbers but but pretty darn close and then the rest of the stuff was just filled in blanks and and, and i know that but he was pretty good at filling in blanks you know so uh you know that's it, it, it's same thing that i'm teaching now um jim Juarez threw in a lot of the chinese for him so we we i hate him but it's part of our curriculum and, and, you know, I have a standard I have to live up to when I bring my people up, but, you know, I, I make sure they can fight. I make sure they can go home every day. I make sure they keep their lunch money. You know? And, uh, and uh, with my safe program, that one has literally stopped uh, six kidnapping attempts in the 20 years that I've been teaching it in the high schools. So, um, I, I'm just teaching them, college. I'm teaching them how to block, how to hit back and how to get the hell out of there. And, you know, that's it in a nutshell, you know, hit them. Like my instructor said, hit them with bad intentions and then get yeah. the hell out of there. So John, what was, you kind of mentioned it a little earlier, but what was Kaja Campbell when you started? Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was like the, if you get compare like the, like the Karate Kid, the Cobra Kai guys. Because they weren't the nice guys. And I mean, uh, like Godin, when I'd be, a, he'd have me enter tournaments and he'd encourage me to punch in the face. Like, uh, and if I got disqualified, he'd cuss out the, 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 the judge, you know, the, the center judge or whatever. And we entered like three or four. We hardly ever did it, but I mean, it was kind of, and it was kind of a, a roughneck guys, group of guys would walk around with their, you know, we were the, the main guys that were black keys, everybody, Kaja Kemper with the black keys. And, you know, they were usually the bigger local guys. And, uh, and, and it was, uh, it was a way to learn, learn, uh, learn how to fight. I, I, I learned 
the hit fast and hit hard and hit all that, but it was never leave, you know, it was always just keep hitting them basically, you know, until, I mean, if you know about Godin and those guys, it was, it was kind of like that. So it was, it was a rough style, but I think it would have been easy if I was a different uh, like mentality or if I had a different moral compass, I could have, I could have gone either way with that because there's a lot of Kaja Kembo guys that ended up in prison. There's a lot of Kaja Kembo guys that not only didn't shy away from fights, you know, but would start fights, you know? So I think it was kind of a, I loved it because it saved me at a time where I needed saving. Um, and it gave me, um, it gave me confidence to go to my intermediate school, which was a very non Howley school. And it made me feel confident because of what I was doing in the, in the dojo or the studio, as we call it. And um, it just made me feel so confident. So when I started junior high school, where the roughness really started in, 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 our, in our neck of the woods, um, it, made, it gave me an unbelievable confidence. And I always kept that Godin and that, you know, that kind of, that kind of uh, uh, mentality going. And so it, kept me from getting beat up, um, get, kept me winning fights. And I had a backyard thing like you did. I actually, my dad actually built, a, a put, put four stakes in the ground. We did, a, we did ropes. And, and when guys will always want to fight in Hawaii, guys in Hawaii always want to fight. There's always a fight in the back campus. So I would just, I started, when I started kind of, kind of being the tough guy, I would say, no, you guys, you guys want to fight, you come to my house Friday night and we're going to spar. And after sparring, you know, you got to make up, but you can fight as much as you want, but you can't fight at school anymore. Cause I was trying to play like the, for whatever reason, like the boss of that. And we used to have fights at my house every Friday night. We used to just beat the hell out of each other. And uh, it was all under Godin's tutelage. Everything to me was about Godin. I, I was there five, six days a week. And I hated the kata. I hated anything to do with the kata. So I told him that. I would say, "Why? how is that going to help me, chief? And he'd go, shut the fuck up and keep doing it until you get your black belt. Then you don't have to do it anymore. But until then, shut up. And I was like 10 years old. I, didn't, I, you know, I wasn't used to a grown-up talking to me like that. You know. <laughs> so I did that. I, I kept katas until I got my black belt. And then... Um, I took them all out. I, I, you know, I didn't think they belonged in our system. So by doing that, I wanted to stay true to Kajakempo and keep Kajakempo true. So I kept my roots, Kajakempo, and keep the mentality. We do the Kajakempo prayer still. Um, and we do our Kajakempo, you know, um, hit first, hit hard, that kind of mentality. But I took out all the katas. And so I called it Hawaiian Kempo. And I started that in 85, 1985. And um, so I called it, call it Hawaiian Kempo, but to me, it was like Kaju Kempo. Godin loved it. He, uh, he loved the new system I made. He came to like my first three or four black belt tests that I promoted my guys to black belt, including Chuck's black belt test. And that was way before he was Chuck Liddell. You know, nobody knew him. This was like 94. Um, but, uh, but he loved the system that we created and that really made me happy. So I got, I got promoted by Emperado after that. 
And uh, then I got promoted to 10th degree by Godin. I think I was eighth or ninth. Do you know, Ron? I was like eighth or ninth with uh, Imperato. With, yeah, it was, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think yeah, I'm, I'm honestly. It was I, probably I, eighth, I think. I think it was eighth. I think it was like master before grandma. I don't even know. But so I'm a Kaji Kempo guy by my lineage and by my attitude of fighting, training my fight team, training my, my, my students. But I, my system is called, you know, Hawaiian Kempo. There are no katas. There are no punch tricks, nothing choreographed. But there is that killer instinct and there is that hit first. And there isn't, there's stuff for the street. Obviously, my fight team, right? There's a couple things that don't combine. But almost everything that I train my fighters um, transfers over to my fight, my, my you know, my fighters, my Hawaiian Kempo class. But there are a couple things that don't. Like, I don't teach the eye gouging stuff to my fight team, but I do to my Hawaiian Kempo guys, right? I do teach arm bars off the mount from my, to my uh, fight team, but I don't teach that to my, to my you know, Hawaiian Kempo class. So there's, there's some things that don't go over, but probably about 90 plus percent do fighter MMA to uh, um, uh, Hawaiian Kempo. And when people say Hawaii, uh, Kaji Kempo was the first, you know, the first MMA, you know, MMA to me, well, it's not just to me, it's what it's the actual term. It's, it's a sport. That's it's a sport. It's not a bunch of martial arts. I mean, literally, you could say it's a mixture of martial arts, but I mean, but it's not. When you say MMA, it is a specific sport and there's rules with that sport. And, and it's proper noun. And it's, it's called MMA, right? So like you could say, well, I do a mixture of martial arts. That's great. But if you do MMA, you're doing the sport. And, you know, so I don't think that, uh, you know, so I, a lot of people mix those up, especially in the, when they had the, the tap out days and shit, you know, and they would be teaching MMA, but it's not really MMA. So I kind of, I kind of, I kind of have a problem with that because I'm so involved in both that, you know, and I, I like to separate the two and I don't want, I don't want people thinking MMA is, you know, it's, it's not what Hawaiian Kempo or it's not what Kaju Kempo ever was. Hawaiian Kempo was the first mixture of martial arts, but it was never uh, MMA. Like you couldn't take an M Kaju Kempo guy and throw him in an MMA match. He's going to be stomping on the guy's eyes and gouging him and shit. It's like, so it's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't turn out well. So anyway, that's, Long story. Before I hand over, I just had one more question, though. Uh, you're still part of the Kajukembo tree, so, like, all your black belts mm -hmm. still end up on the Kajukembo lineage, right? It's all part of the yeah. same thing. So they're Kajukembo yeah. guys. They're still, Kaj by definition, they're Kajukembo guys. Yeah. They're, out, they're on the tree, yeah. right? And they're very this proud of that. Yeah. They're very, they're very proud of that. So it's Chuck, Chuck and Glover, you know, they're very proud of that, that lineage. And, I mean, I have the, the family tree, a huge one, on my wall right there. And they love going and looking at their where they are and stuff. So we are part of the lineage. <clears throat> and I would love to call it Kaji Kempo, but I wasn't being true to it because I took out the katas and all the, you know, all the things that proprietary things that were proprietary to Kaji Kempo. So if I'm not doing, you know, this kata, this taioka, this grab art, this punch trick, 
then I don't think I, I have the right to call it Kajikempo. And that's why I didn't. I wanted to real bad because I wanted to keep the name Kajikempo and I wanted to keep the lineage, the, the, the patch. I love everything about Kajikempo. I mean, I, I you know, it's, it's my life, you know, but I felt I wasn't being true to it because I was taken away. It's katas. I loved it's katas. I thought they were cool. I just didn't think they belonged in a curriculum that was teaching people to defend themselves because that time that I could take away from the, the katas, right. Or I would spend on the katas. I should be teaching these guys how to fight. And if they, so like now, like if I had extra time and they did an extra class, like maybe I did an upgrade class, maybe I would do katas. But right now all of my focus is on staying safe in the street. Don't let anyone take your lunch money. And then conditioning is huge. And then for my fighters, obviously, they're not going to be doing katas. So that's where I spend all my time. So I had to do away with the katas. So that's why I named it Hawaiian Kempo. I wish I could have called it, kept it Kaji Kempo in stealth and still felt good about myself. But I, but I couldn't. I thought I'd be a phony Kaji Kempo guy. Not at all, John. The, the, the katas weren't there originally, and it was still Kaji Kempo, right? So that's the whole thing. That, that stuff all came much later and, and doesn't. Yeah. And honestly, you're right. Doesn't have to be there. Um, no, I don't. I don't think but, it does. But but it was from when I was in Kajikempo, and I started Kajikempo. It was there. So in my mind, that's what Kajik. And you had to learn this kata and this kata and this punch trick for this belt. And I don't. I didn't want anything to do with that in mind. So I just wanted to keep my, you know, the Emperado and all the Kajikempo guys and. Yeah. Anyway, that's why I did that. Well, without that curriculum, my business wouldn't have survived this last year and a half because the grab arts, the punch tricks, the kata, that's what kept feeding, feeding me for the last year and a half because I lost half, half of my class, but the class that I didn't lose 100%, we had things to work on. Some of my why, purple why, belts, no, no black belt material you, at this point. Where are you? Where are you? I'm in, I'm, I'm in the Bay Area. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so we're yeah, twice. We, we, we gain students. Yeah, we got we well, gain students because not where we, I'm we at, bro. Refuse to close. I know. That's it's it's, you know, it's like tyranny there. Uh, it, it's it, you have no idea. The kids are still wearing masks every class. I'm I'm not anymore, and they have the option. But their parents. I, I'm in a very affluent area. I'm at the bottom of the hill, the most affluent area in in my city. And, and it's, it's pretty liberal. It's all I can say. Although the ones that have stayed with me for the most part, um, it, it, the, the kids are only wearing the mask because they're used to it. And it's still an indoor requirement in my county. But they actually lifted it a while ago, but nobody's listening to it and everybody's still wearing it. Um, I have natural immunity, so hey, I don't care, man. You know, it's just me. Yeah, our town is lucky, and yeah. I, I'm lucky, too. I made a big stand, you know, and uh, showed up with the guns during the BLM riot. I mean, so that all combined with the mask thing, refusing to take off the uh, wear the mask, refusing to close the door. The other four, uh, the other three martial arts schools in my, in my town shut down, you yeah. know, and we refused to close. We refused to sh wear the mask. And then came that gun thing where we had the BLM thing. So we, we were lucky because it turned around into this thing where people said, hey, 
you're protecting our community. We really like you. So we're busier now than ever before. We were so lucky, but it could have turned, it could have turned the other way. Yeah. I'm just lucky. I thank God it didn't. Well, so my landlord didn't now. work with me. So I, I, I had to shut down. I, I shut my doors. I had a, I landed on my feet with a friend that told me to come in with him. So I share space with him now and I'm blessed beyond belief to have yeah. that opportunity. But but if it wasn't for Zoom, I, I would even have the, the the 20 that stayed, you know? Yeah. Um, and to me, Kajikempo, see, Kajikempo is, it's my mentality, it's my mentality, everything I do. Yeah. I mean, my fighters, my fight team, you can talk, you could ask Joe Rogan when he talks about me. Everything he's saying, you can tell he's talking about a Kajikempo guy. Yeah. He's talking about our conditioning, the way I drill my guys so hard, fighting techniques you know we drill it so hard you know fight to the death we talk about you know we talk about uh, always hit first don't you know so to me that's all the mentality of Kajikempo and I owe everything to that and I thank God every day that I wake up for Kajikempo and for the for the uh you know what is what is inspired and inbred in me and Godin he might have been a, a terrible person Godin my instructor was a, he was a bad person. He was a, he was a sociopathic, uh, very, very violent person. I've seen him do horrendous things to people, not nothing to do with the sport. And, and, you know, as a kid, that was, you know, that was, I mean, that, that really shaped me a lot watching him do mm -hmm. things to people that owed him money for this or that. And, but that was the way it was back home. And I was like, yeah. I just knew it wouldn't, it wouldn't affect me. And I wasn't going to, be that guy but i was going to take his toughness i wanted to take his toughness and his killer instinct and his animal instinct that he taught me i want to keep that but keep it only doing it for for good or for right you know so i i i thank god every day for kaji kempo and and what it taught me and how it taught me to be tough i would have been wearing a fucking flannel or a or floral dress right now <laughs> in a corner i swear to god i'd be in a corner right now and I'm not nothing against gays. We call them mahus back home. Nothing against them. But I would probably have turned out that way because of the way I was getting beat up and shit. And I'd be sitting in a corner right now. And my wife, instead of being my wife, oh, she no. would be my partner. And she'd be throwing stewed tomatoes at me every night. And I don't know why. But I thank God for Kempo every day because of that. Because of that. <laughs> I could see the uh, the psychology major in Angelo just exploding right now. <laughs> What'd you get out of that, Rob? What'd you get out of that? Uh, okay, so just just kind of backpedaling back <laughs> to the original <laughs> question. So Rob, so Rob, before the the tomato throwing <laughs> floral dresses, how did you get into Kajikembo? Oh, not wow. What what was Kajikembo when you started? I joined Kajikembo in 2006 or seven, right after the Fight Quest episode had just come out. So there was like that big boom of people talking about Kajikembo. Now, my instructor, Tony Morell, he had one of the oldest gyms in Austin, period. Uh, and it was next to my house. So I, I kind of always knew where it was. I always knew what it was. And I always knew what he, who he was. But I didn't have any interest really in Kajikembo before I saw Fight Quest. You know, it just, we have a Kempo gym on like every other corner in this town. 
And so I was like, all right, there's guys in black geese kicking each other in the nuts on every corner. So I'm not really interested in Kaju Kembo. It's just a different name, right? Then I saw the Fight Quest episode and I was like, oh, that's not what Kempo looks like. That's way cooler. So I decided to go sign up. I'd already been taking uh, Taijutsu at a different place and I didn't like that at all. Um, I didn't like the way it was run. I didn't like the instructor. I went for a trial class at Kaju Kembo and Tony uh, was riding high on the, on the fame that Fight Quest brought, right? Like he knew people were coming in because they wanted to see like MMA in a gi. So that's basically what he was doing. We were doing sprawls. We were doing, you know, one, two hooks. We were doing low kicks. That kind of tapered off as we went, as the, you know, people stopped watching Fight Quest as it went off the air and he went back to teaching more traditional karate style movements. You know, there's a lot more kata coming in. But when I first joined, that was all we talked about. That it was MMA for the street. And we were fortunate enough that he was also partnered with a boxing gym. So it was like you would do Kajikembo from six to seven, and then from seven to eight, you could go do boxing. So then when we cross-trained with them, he had a thriving jiu-jitsu team. He was a jiu-jitsu brown belt um, when he passed away, unfortunately. Um, so we would also do a lot of jiu-jitsu. And it was just, it was, it really was just MMA for the streets. Um, which again, I think ethically we can argue about, you know, should you really just ride high on a TV show giving you fame for a little bit or giving the style fame? Maybe, maybe not, but you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot. People were coming in the door for that. So do it. You know, you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the drama I was getting into in a Kajikembo group on Facebook earlier today. Martial arts is a business like any other. You know, you got to ultimately, we got to have people coming in the door. And if they're coming in the door because they saw a TV show featuring your gi, then you got to give them what they want, at least to get, get them to sign up for a month, right? We got to keep the lights on. And he told me one day after, you know, after I got my black belt, we're hanging out. And he's like, listen, like at the end of the day, I want to teach traditional martial arts. Like I like self-defense. It's a big part of big part of the style, but I like teaching punch counters. I like teaching the kata. And so, you know, I could see that become what his focus was. Now he put a big emphasis on making sure we knew how to defend ourselves. But also he was like, at the end of the day, this is just something that's fun for me. And this will be fun, something that's fun for you. I respect that. That's not what I want it to do. That's not what I want Kajikembo to be. That's not how I teach, but I respect that he's being honest about what he's doing. Um, so at least when I joined Kajikembo, it was, again, riding high off a of fight quest, which, again, we can go back and forth about how accurately portrayed Kajikembo, how favorably portrayed it, but it did ride high on it. People, people rode high on it. Now I see a shift where a lot of Kajikembo people, especially in Texas, I don't know what it is about Texas. It's just become point fighting. That's all anybody wants to do around here. So, Rob. I don't know if you know this, but I think Ron, I has, <laughs> Ron has a I lot do. to say about what you just said. <laughs> I know. I know who I'm talking to. I hated every minute of it and, and uh, for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Would you, care, would you care to explain why, Ron? Because I, I, the listeners don't – I know the background here, but – but if you just want to share what Fight Quest was and what your involvement was in that, if, if you don't, if you don't mind, no, that's fine. Um, I was uh, I was on the set with with Gaylord's group. I was there all seven days of shooting. Um, we did a lot better stuff than than what ended up in the twelve minutes or so that that uh, that we did the show. Um, I came away with that show with a concussion, three separated ribs. And I couldn't hold my arm up for a week. So if you saw the show, I was a guy that was getting blasted on the arms when Gaylord's hitting. And, and trust me, that wasn't planned and it, and it hurt. Yeah. 
I'll just leave it at that. Um, it, it was Hollywood. It, it was a show. And the producers got what the producers wanted. Um, that's all I can say about that. You know, it's, um, I, I, I didn't get any students out of it. And as a matter of fact, had a whole lot of explaining to do to my parents that were with me that did see it. Um, yeah, I, I, it wasn't my favorite uh, show or time um, for, yeah, a lot of those reasons. Um, they changed a lot of stuff. Uh, Eric was supposed to be the, the, the final fight, you know, the, the elbow, mm -hmm. uh, that's, 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 that's my Eric. And that was supposed to be the final fight, but they changed it on the last day. I mean, literally on the last day. Um, I they didn't want any part of him and, and, and rightfully so he, he wouldn't allow Jimmy wouldn't have lasted and didn't last more than 30 seconds with Eric, but you know, there was a quite a size there difference, but uh, we saw what he did when he tried to sprawl. He did Kaju Kimball, right? Jimmy tried to take him down. He put up, brought him down and then came to Kaju. He drove that elbow and I had to drive him to my other black belt. Who's a chiropractor massage therapist. And we fixed him because trust me, it didn't take him five minutes to get up. It was a good half hour or more before he got his, his body up off the ground. Um, we broke him, but we fixed him. You know, Got to have those healing arts along with the hurting arts. And then for, for anyone listening, watching on YouTube, I can't bring it up because YouTube will pull me off, but I am going to put a link here or here a little later um, so people can go ahead and check out that uh, that episode of Fight Quest on YouTube. I, I'm uh, interested in what John uh, thought about the show. Did you uh, see the show, John? <laughs> no. But one of my guys, there was the Kaju Pit guy, Greg Harper, right? right? He was in it, right? Right. right. Yeah, was. that's a Kaju Pit. He had yep. a Kaju pit. He had a pit in uh, in uh, in Fresno area, in the valley. Yeah, Visalia, I think, or yeah, something like that. Yeah. More, so he's one of my guys, and he called me about it, and I I wasn't really that interested. But then I think there was so much stuff going on with the. That's when I got all tied up with the UFC stuff. Um, I think it was around that time because I remember I remember that coming out, but and I remember. Uh, Greg Harper was in it, you know, my Kaja Pit guy. But um, yeah, yeah just, they did I some pretty really cool stuff it. over there. I mean, they the, the stuff yeah. that they filmed was was that's probably what brought uh, you over to it, uh, Rob. You know, uh, uh, Gaylord was the old guy, and he was the one that was supposed to show the traditional Kaja Campbell as opposed to the modern version of it. So, you know, like I said, the producers got what they wanted. I can send you a link later, John. You can check it out. It's, they have like yeah. a highlight reel. It takes like ten minutes to watch. Yeah. Um, so when I got into Kajukembo, what it was when I came in is exactly what I described. Um, it was all about sparring for me. Of course, my instructor did have the katas and, and he did follow the lineage of what he was taught as far as katas, but he wasn't big on katas. He didn't teach them all. That's for sure. How many, how many pinyons is there, Ron? Do you guys know how many pinyons there are? We have 15. How many are in the, in the record? I think it's 20. I think I have the DVD set somewhere. But it's like oh, yeah. it's like 20, 20 sets. Um, pinions, yeah, pinions like pinion. then there's uh, Tiokas. Yeah. And there was the ABC. There was grab bars, punch tricks, and uh, yeah. something else. But, yeah, and there's like twenty of each. There's like there's like twenty of each of these things, yeah. right? These so my ins my instructor felt that was just there's. He said there's no way. There's no way. Even if I did, and he knew them. Because he was, that's how he brought, he was coming from, he came in around the 80s. 
And he was taught all 20 of grab arts, all 20 punch arts, all the pinions. And pretty much what he told me, uh, now Professor Ronnie Isagiri was, you know, at the end of the day, I teach you all this. If I teach you all that stuff, you're just going to forget it later anyway. So like to have a connection to the other Kajakembo guys, I'm just going to make it so that you only have to learn four. I, he taught me five, but at the time it was three. four. Now, yeah, four, four. <laughs> <laughs> so he taught me four. But um, at the end of the day, like <laughs> he officially taught me three and I learned the other two later. But it wasn't part like it was just like you have to learn these uh, pinyon sets. They were called palamas. They were called something else at that. They were compared to pinyon. They're a little different. And then he asked me, OK, and then from there, pick a form. Just go. You can just go on YouTube. You can pick a form. Like if you want to do a wushu form, look it up and uh, and then we'll, we'll see if, we, if you want to learn that kind of form, you can if you want. And then from there, he was just really focused on self-defense and fighting. That's what he really cared about. And then even out of the punch arts, it was 10 punch arts and 10 grab arts that probably don't even coincide with the one through 10 on the DVDs. But when I looked at it, it's like one of the 20. So like that's all he cared about. Oh, yeah. Club, five club techniques, five club defense and five knife defense techniques out of the, I think like 10 or 15, that's probably in the original curriculum. And that's what it was and then a lot of sparring 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 a lot of continuous kajukembo sparring um meaning like you said earlier very loose rule set uh try not to put anybody in the hospital so like we're not we're gonna try not to have anyone have to spend money for a doctor's bill tomorrow but try to get as close to that as we could and that's <laughs> and sometimes we failed and ended up in the hospital and that's just what it was um no mats no mats grappling on carpet with concrete at the bottom sucks that's i can say that i was really happy when i got my gym and i got mats i was like i'm getting mats this is gonna be nice but um yeah and uh, just a lot of hard training and as that was my generation and i'm coming in around 2000s we'll say 2000s around the early 2005-ish area, 2003-ish areas when I got into this. So in the early 2000s, that's what he was doing. And he had his own studio, but I did notice a shift when we had to start getting into the rec center programs. They really didn't like the idea of, of kids doing the Kajukembo sparring on the hard ground. But it was interesting because in the rough neighborhood of Escondido that we came in, those parents wanted that. In the nice areas where the rich where the rich white folk were, as I like to say, <laughs> they didn't want that. Those are the people saying, we want more kata. We want more kung fu. We <laughs> and so as, as Rob was saying, following the business model, that's what my instructor would. And he told me when he first brought me to the affluent area uh, that we taught at, he's like, this is a different breed of Kajakembo people. So just remember that. And remember, like when you're talking to the parents, this is a different breed of Kajukembo parent. So don't don't talk to them the way we would talk to them. Like because in, in Escondido, that's so I talk to this to parents spoke Spanish sometimes. I tell them in Spanish, you know, para pelear. this is to fight, and this is gonna you know, for the gangs. And I tell them in Spanish, this, this is gonna get your kid, this is gonna keep your kids safe. It's cool. But saying that to the affluent parents, that just kind of scared them. Well, they're looking at me like I was a thug because I'm coming from that area that they had a giant gate. 
a, a giant bridge and a lake. It separated us from all that. So, so yeah, they, they were, um, it was a different breed. And as time went on, of course, those programs uh, paid the bills more. So those were the programs that became more affluent. So those were more under the point, point karate sparring uh, with the no, with the, with the, with the light touches to the face. But I do remember one funny story when a few generations later, we were in the affluent area and one of the kids from the affluent areas would come cross train with us in the, in Escondido in the rough area. And she was told to head class one day and she's making the kids hold horse stance for like 10 minutes or something. Cause they weren't doing it right. And she said, squat down lower. And, and the kids, some of the kids were shaking. Some of the white boats were like falling over. <laughs> and then we were done. And well, some of the adults, some of the adults couldn't hold it. She's yelling at the adults. What's wrong with you? And, <laughs> and I just sit there like trying not to laugh. And when we were done, we all, we all go to the corner and one of the adults looks at me and she's like, he's, he looks at me and he says, you know, Drew was a militant, militant with, with the, with the training today. And I'm like, that's, she's, she didn't give you push-ups. You didn't have to do knuckle push-ups and she didn't punch you in the stomach. I think you're doing, I think we're doing pretty good here. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's changed though, but to say, to say the least, it, it did change. Um, according to the area you're in and as time went by um, we definitely, I think John has a lot to say about, you know, we talked about last time on the last podcast about that really hard style trading where people were getting hurt mm-hmm. and trying to find, keep that hard style conditioning and that killer mentality without having your students end up with brain injuries. And I think that's a hard balance for, for some kinds of people. Yeah, or have it turn not, and not have it turn into taekwondo. I think that's that's the, that's that's the challenge, right? Well, the I holes never, in the wall see will bring people in or deter them, but the holes in the wall are telling always. You know, you walk into a school, it's got holes on the walls. You got to you, you know what's coming. Yeah. Sorry, Rob. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, J- John, you you about to say? Oh, yeah. I noticed that, or I didn't notice, like. Where I grew up, it was one way. And then then when I first opened my f- first backyard gym, it was a really affluent neighborhood. I was already done college and I was, you know, uh, I was working full time and I had some money and it was a nice area of Woodland Hills, California. And I've been used to, you know, Palolo, Kamaki, all the roughest areas. But to be honest, like the the guys still wanted to train. They were yearning, maybe because they knew my style or my, you know, had heard about me because I was already a professional fighter and stuff. But the guys that came, even in Woodland Hills or Arroyo Grande, they want to train just as hard. They want, they want that, you know, you know, they want that same mentality. They want me to train their kids hard. You know, you got a soccer mom here and there, they're soft, but you get those on the other side too. But I, I feel like I feel like it's what they want more than like if they grew up in like a different area. Like if you look at the UFC, you look at boxing, it's all ghetto guys, right? I mean, I box. I never, I had how many fights? I never fought a white guy in my whole boxing career, amateur and pro. Um, but, but it's not to say one's tougher or, or yeah. one's tougher or meaner because then, there's also those rich kids that went to the nice colleges that wrestled at, you know, you know, upper level wrestling. They're every bit as tough. So you, 
but so more of them came into the UFC. So the UFC isn't full of ghetto guys that are really tough. I mean, a huge, huge uh, majority of the fighters in the UFC were affluent, you know, growing up and they went to college and had, you know, they, they wrestled and, you know, the wrestling career is over after college, they had nowhere to go. They want to keep competing. So they, you know, parlayed that into MMA and now they're UFC champions and they grew up, you know, super. One I'll think of off the top of my head, Carlos Condit, you know, or Cerrone, two of the known toughest, not the best necessarily ever, but definitely they're in the toughest category, you know, and, and they both grew up, you know, very affluent. And, and but so I, you know, I, I just don't see that as much as the people that see your style and they want their kid to train like that. You know, so we have a really, we don't have a really affluent area we're, we're in or not. We're very middle-class. Um, but our, our kids, man, the kids that come in and the parents, you know, they want their kids to train. They want their kids to keep their lunch money. They want, you know, I have more complaints or requests. Can you be harder on my kid than I do? Can you be not as hard on my kid? So, cause they want that respect. They want that confidence they want that discipline and want they want they want the toughness mental and physical so that's, that's, i see that as that's what our artist is so and i'm not against kata you know i like kata just like i like pop locking it's they're both fun to watch but but i feel like unless that's your full-time job and most most of your students aren't you're lucky to get them for two hours a week and to me even if i take time away from the, the striking, the wrestling, the jujitsu, and the physical conditioning. Those are my four tenets of, of, my, you know, of my system. And those four have to be addressed. And those four have to be, um, that's what I test on. So if I took any, I don't, I don't have enough time in a class to take any time out of my striking, my wrestling, my jujitsu, or my conditioning, or else I, if I had extra time, I would do katas all day long. I'd do musical katas and I'd fucking pop lock and all kind of shit if I could. But my guys don't have enough time. You know, they're busy working people and they don't have the time to do something that's not going to save them if they get carjacked at Walmart parking lot at nine at night while they're trying to get ice cream and milk for their wife. Now you're, her wife, their wife's in the car. You get the shit kicked out of you. And you don't know how to fight in front of your wife. Guess who's not getting, you know, what at home anymore? <laughs> yeah. Do you think your wife is going to still look at you the same? If you get your ass whooped and you don't know how to fight? No. She might say, oh, honey, I still love you the same. But her mind is thinking, how did I end up with this beta bitch? So that's why training is so important. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just saying, that's, you're, 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 just saying. You're, you're doing. I think. I think you're doing much better than you, you did last time. You, you've, def, you. you've, def, you've definitely. You've definitely. You've uh, definitely focused that that point <laughs> much better. Um, want, oh yeah, it means a lot to me. Believe me, <laughs> having a wife, I know. So, Rob, Rob, any thoughts on on this? What are we talking about, John? Just talk about <laughs> for like fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it must be important if I said it. 
<laughs> I, I agree with John. That's, okay. So um, for, for, oh, go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, I mean, uh, we've been talking about the, the affluence versus, you know, the poverty of the clientele, right? The, the dojo that I just left, um, there was, there was a sharp divide, not between the students and the coaching, but the owner, the owner himself grew up very affluent. He had a lot of money and our clients we're all middle class, like lower middle class to middle class. And he wanted to teach exclusively kata and point fighting. You know, he said that's that's where Kajikembo has made its bread and butter. I don't know how true. I don't know what he trained in that he thinks that's what, what Kajikembo is. But that's what he wanted to do. He said, that's what parents want. That's what kids want. And I would have the parents pull me aside and be like, can you please just have our kids punch each other a little bit? Like they look miserable and they're not learning anything useful. You know, you have self-defense above the door, but I don't see how this this kata they're doing to kung fu fighting is going to help them learn to defend themselves. I had one mom crying because her kid was being bullied at school and she's like, he doesn't seem to know what to do. <laughs> like you guys are spending the whole hour just working on forms and how to do the splits. This isn't helping him. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like he wants to teach. He wants to teach for tournaments. But I don't think necessarily going back to what you were talking about, Angelo. I don't think the question, and John, you and I talked about this before. We had a Zoom call a couple couple weeks ago. Um, hard training, I don't think, has to mean beating your students up to the point that they bleed. Hard training can be anything, right? It can be physical conditioning to the point where their body is like, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. Or it can be sparring over and over again. Or it can just be a class that's so fast-paced with minimal rest that it's, again, just intense. Hard training is whatever the instructor wants it to be. And I think the easiest thing to do is say, I'm going to beat my students up or I'm going to make them beat each other up. That's the easy answer. We don't get paid for the easy answer. People don't come to us because we do the easy work. They come to us, they come to me because they know I'm staying up every night trying to figure out what's the way to deliver the best information the best way possible. And I think whatever an instructor decides their hard training is going to be, again, physical conditioning, intense pace, even shouting, right? Militant shouting can make a class very intense. I think the gauge is how, how entertained, for lack of a better term, are your students? Are they having fun? Because if your class is hard, but everyone's miserable, they're not going to come back. They don't care. You know, yet I, there's so many people that tell me that Kaiju Kembo will never grow because kids these days can't handle the intensity. It's like, no, it's because nobody is fucking entertained. <laughs> it's because you're making them sit in horse stance for 10 minutes and then <laughs> hitting them in the bicep until they can't lift their arm anymore. And then in sparring, you're throwing a dude into the wall and he can't go to work tomorrow. And he's like, well, I'd rather just go do jujitsu down the street where we can roll every single night. I never get injured and I have a great time and I'm learning skills faster. I think, you know, it, it's kind of a no, no thing to say, but a student's entertainment and engagement level is probably the most important thing in terms of running your class, because then you can do whatever you want. If they love the fact that you're screaming at them. Great. Keep doing that. If that's not connecting, find something else to do. Yeah. Hmm. You must've been one of a few of my classes, huh? <laughs> I did study at the pit here in Austin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ron? Oh, yeah. You want to say something, Ron? Yeah, after, after, when, when, when you're done, John, go ahead. What, what I want to say is I agree with almost everything there, and I don't think you have to get punched in the face anymore. That was a mainstay of my training growing up. Um, that was a mainstay of my my training, my people in the old days, somebody went out of in the ER at least once a week. I, I'm not even exaggerating. 
and you could you could read Chuck's book and he'll tell you it, there's some stories in that but but I don't believe that has to happen anymore. I do believe you have to be entertained or the kids aren't going to learn anything. They're going to go and get the shit kicked out of them all the time. They're going to grow up to be betas. Um, and we don't want that. That's our main goal is we do not want betas. We want to turn betas into alphas. Um, but one thing that has to be super hard is the conditioning has to be super hard. And that conditioning has to be related to martial arts, whether it's punching and sprawling over and over, you have to get an anaerobic response to your workout. You have to be anaerobic or when you get jumped, you will not respond well. After about 20 seconds, you'll be completely winded. And no matter how strong you are, how tough you are, how nice that Ferrari is, if it doesn't have any gas, it's not going anywhere. If you don't have any gas, your fight is over. If you watch Glover's last fight, he broke him in the first round. I didn't even go in the court, in the in the in the cage in between rounds because I knew he won already. I didn't want anything to change. He broke him in the first round mentally, and a lot of that had to do with the conditioning. When all things are equal, conditioning will will make the difference in winning or losing the fight. And so you have to you have to be hard condition with your your training like you have to muscle memory punching or as soon as you get tired you're going to do this whereas you can do this all day long when you're cool and the music's playing but as soon as the fight starts your adrenaline starts pumping you get hit once or twice and you start thinking oh shit i'm gonna die now then you start punching like this if it's not in your muscle memory and if the fight's not over within 20 seconds if you hadn't trained your students so hard uh, anaerobically, not aerobically, anaerobically, they're going to lose. Whether it's in the cage, my fighters in the cage, or even more important, because the, 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 the consequences are much higher in the street, it's life or death. In the cage, it's winning UFC title or not. So I put a lot more emphasis on that street. And conditioning is everything. Conditioning is my kata, because that's how I test for every belt is conditioning and it has to be progressive and it has to be going up or they're not going to they're not going to promote and the reason is because i don't care if they know 10 katas to get their next belt i want them to be safer each belt and conditioning is to me that it's the swing it's what it's what makes it or breaks it and you do have to have fun and if you're not having fun upbeat sometimes that in my waiver there is a sexual harassment clause because I say a lot of, of things that are off color, not color like race, but off color like, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they can be, in, they could rub people the wrong way, but sorry, that's just the way I teach. So you have to have fun, but you have to teach really, really, really um, effective techniques and those things together, boom, then we got, we got Kaja Kempo right there covered. Bing, yeah. right? Yeah. That, we just came up with it. Us four right now. Oh my God. This has just changed the martial arts landscape. I wish Make I it fun, keep it effective. Boom. Thanks. That, that's that, we, we could we could have just ended the podcast with that at the very beginning. <laughs> so, so Ron, you, you were gonna add? 
Well, just um, on, on the affluent thing, because you can, the kids really want it. I, I really do think so. Um, when I was at the San Leander Boys Club, which is right next to Oakland. So, I mean, it was mostly Oakland kids that was coming. Eric, Big Eric included. You know, it was, um, you know, the, the, these kids came from, some of them came from, you know, rough neighborhoods. Some of them didn't. You know, um, San Leandro was kind of right in the middle, but but they were all good kids. But, you know, I have a joke now that I used to make bad kids good. Now I make good kids bad because we're still we're still sparring with no I like to spar with no gear whatsoever um, because they're going to get hit. It, it, it changes the complexity. It makes it makes the the uh, control better. Um, and luckily, I haven't been sued yet and nobody's really gotten injured you know, bust up lip once in a while, but my affluent people, they're drop and run. So the parents don't see what we're doing anyway. <laughs> they uh -huh. and they're the hell out of there. So they don't see what we're doing anyway. And the kids love it. And yeah, it has to be fun or you're right. We won't continue as a business. Uh, music is a big part of what I do. I'm an old seventies DJ club DJ. So I like to play music and music is an integral part of, of, of doing that with, you know, with, with the, with, you know, it's, I work them hard. Uh, one of my kids right now, that's started with me at like 10, he's like 19. Now he's, he's in the fire Academy and he's killing it in the fire Academy because he's stronger than everybody else. He's got more endurance. He's got more heart. He's dragging and they're loving him. He's going to have a great career for the rest of his life with a great job. And, and uh, he's, a, he's a great kid with, with, that's very strong, very mental, and just, you know, keeps everything in, in, in tune. And that's, that's our Kaji Camel. It's, it's what it does for these kids. You know, we, John, you've been teaching a long time. We've been teaching a long time. And I, I can tell that story over and over and over again about so many of them, of what Kaji Camel has given the next generation, Rob. I see your stuff, man. Your stuff is really good. I enjoy every single episode that you put out there. I, I don't comment a lot, but I'm, I'm always watching stuff. So, you know, great job. Just, you know, I'm going to give it to you right there, bro. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah, no worries. So, you know, I had a final question, but y'all answered it. I was going to ask you, what do you think the future of Kajikebo should be? But I think this last one kind of, um, it did. And maybe later I'll do a shorter clip of, of just that with that as a title, because I think that really does wrap it up. Have fun. Make sure it keeps some of that roots of kicking ass that needs to be there, which includes conditioning. Because who's the one who said, John, who's the one who says that uh, what poor conditioning makes, uh, what's it, what it makes? Cowards. Cowards. Yeah, yeah makes cowards us all. Well, who, who said that? I don't remember. I don't remember either. It's either way, it's a, it's, it's a it's saying. It's so true. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, true. It's so true. And, and conditioning is overlooked. And you, if you replace kata for conditioning you're I, you're just i mean it's it's a it's not a good trade-off and and you know putting it in, that's my link like i said that's my that's what promotes people to the next belt because they are they're getting better everyone gets better progressively and they're getting their hooks are going to get better all their groundwork all their stand-up all their this all their you know i have four systems right so we have four things it's it's striking you know, wrestling, which is takedown or takedown defense. That's it. That's all wrestling is. It's you're going to take the guy down or he's going to take you down or you're going to defend it or you're not. So that's the middle. That's the, that's the middle part. And then to me, jujitsu is everything that happens 
once the fight hits on hits the ground, right? Um, except for the striking, obviously, but the, but position, submission, uh, escapes, reversals, uh, sweeps. It's, so once it hits the ground, I just call it jujitsu. And once it's standing, right, and you're hitting, it's striking. And then once once you try to take the guy down, it's that. But the condition conditioning is the only thing that I actually test. That's actually quantified and qualified because how are you going to qualify a left hook you're going to see if it knocks someone out i mean it's going to get better as time goes on but you can't really you can't really qualify it you can quantify it do a thousand of them but you can't qualify it because once my first group of, of black belts chuck liddell Eric Schwartz, the guy that beat Glover, that's how I met Glover. His first fight, he got beat by Eric Schwartz. And then I got a guy named Tony the Terrible and Rick Metzler, who has the pit Malibu. Um, after those guys, I mean, then who do I, my next group, I had like a 70 or a 60 some year old guy and he did everything, but he didn't hit like Chuck or, or Glover or those guys. He didn't take down like them. So how do I qualify his left hook? You know, he's going for his black belt, but it was nothing like Chuck's black belt when they were doing their stuff. So is it really a black belt? So it's their black belt. It's his black belt. So I want everybody to be their own black belt because not everybody's going to be Chuck. I'll just use Chuck Liddell because that's my most, you know, like Kempo with an N which is not really a, a strong style of Kempo. It's kind of weaker than Kempo with an M, and I'll prove it right now. Their biggest claim to fame is Elvis Presley is one of their black belts. <laughs> my biggest claim to fame, my biggest claim to fame is I got Chuck Liddell and Glover Teixeira as my black belts. Ah, Kempo with an M always beats Kempo with an M. I'm just, I just made that up. But which anyway. one is the king, though? What? Who's the king, though? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just starting shit. I'm sorry. Or the, money, or the most money. But I remember watching him once do something and thinking, and that's when me and Cecil Peoples used to argue about Kempo with an N versus Kempo with an M. Because you, you guys remember Cecil Peoples? Yeah. He's a referee and a judge, and he, was, he fought back in the day. Um, but he has a school in L.A., and when I started training with him, I was Kempo. I had the tattoo Kempo with an M. And he was like, ah, Kempo with an M sucks. And we still argue in a joking way. But I was like, your biggest claim to fame is freaking Elvis Presley, you know? And anyway, so mine was Chuck. So, hey, that's a Kempo, Kempo joke. But anyway, Kaja Kempo, uh, Kaja Kempo is, is we got to make a research. We got to do something. We got to do something. What can we do? Let's do a brainstorm. Um, and, or do some kind of group like a think tank, shark tank, think tank, um, how we can get Kaja Kempo back to saving the world like, like, it, like, like it was supposed to, well, beating up Howleys, whatever, same thing, save the world, beat up some Howleys. <laughs> All right, so back in 47, now how can we change it and still for good make it so it is the art? You know, it's it's the martial art that everybody wants. I think that show good, didn't really do it, did it? That that's a that's a really good question because that was one of the things that kind of got touched on in the last podcast is how 
marketing-wise, nobody knows, even now, I mean, in the martial arts circles, yes, arguably, people know what Kaja Kembo is. But even now, like, the greater public, I can tell you right now, no one in Japan does. I, 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 they know Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I'm, I, I cross-train with, with Gracie Baja Jiu-Jitsu guys. They know what Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is. They have no idea what Kaja Kembo is. Nobody cares. Yeah. The parent, the parent that's bringing their kids down or teens or whatever, they don't care. It's, a, it's closest to their house. They don't really care. I, yeah. I found that out when I was at the boys club. I just changed it from, from Kaja Kimball to just plain karate and, and tripled my enrollment just because people then knew what that was. Nobody knew what the other one was. I, I do think that there's a, a branding issue. Unfortunately, that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, Kempo on its own is at this point a term that everyone knows, right? But initially it was Kempo Karate. Yep. Everyone knew what karate was, right? Mm-hmm. Tang Sudo that makes up the karate portion of our of Kaji Kempo was originally called Korean Karate, right? Like you can kind of understand <laughs> what the shorthand for karate, what karate is a shorthand for. Kaju as a shorthand doesn't explain at all what we're doing. You know, and so I think if we want to just like have people look at a flyer and understand what they're looking at, we got to change it to people got to be more willing to say Kaju Karate or Kaju Self-Defense or something, you know, something that just right away tells you what it is. And I don't, I think there's so many people that want to say Kaju Kembo. That's just, you don't understand how you're alienating people, you know, and even then, I think if we just call it Hawaiian Kempo. You know, not to not to jump on anyone's toes or anything, but I think Hawaiian Kempo also explains what it is. It's Kempo from Hawaii. Could, and then we could start, then they could start learning more about their roots and the Kaju Kempo. Like my my students, especially my advanced students, oh, they know a Kaju, they know their Kaju Kempo, but they knew they got in into a system called Hawaiian Kempo, uh, but but they know what it is. So we gotta that's a that's a that's a good uh yeah, once they get in the door, then we can start the indoctrination right. a little more of the Kaju Kempo way of life, the Kaju Kempo. Like our Kaju Kempo prayer, we just started redoing it again because I've gone on and off with it since the beginning. And we did it twice a day. I don't know, Ron, was it like that when you were starting? You did it twice yeah, a day. And and you, no. you have a sergeant, did you have the sergeant of arms that had to stand yes. by the door? Yes, and yes. They had a, in, in a squatting position, a horse yes. stance. Yes. Okay. I, I, I really a, think that we, was, yeah. 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 We did that twice a day, every class, the beginning of class, end of class. And I kind of got rid of, kind of lost track of that and didn't do it as much. Um, and now one of my guys, uh, I have a lot of guys that are so much more, uh, they want to be traditional much more than I do with the old school stuff. And he brought it back. He's like, can I bring back the Kaju Kempo prayer? You know, I, I think it'd be great for our students. They really like it. I go, you can do it, bro. You're, he just, he's going for his black belt soon. He's a, so he teaches some of the class and he does the warm up. So he does the Kaju Kempo prayer now and, and people like it. You know, people are liking it. They like the, they like what it says. They like what they, you know, what it means, especially this, this day and age right now. People need, they need something to, to grab onto. They need something that they think is going to, you know, they, is going to make them stronger, tougher, but, but also, you know, more, you know, more on a, on a, 
on a moral high ground or a moral, you know, or a, a righteous path, uh, but they still want to be tough, you know, and they knew, they know now, you know, watching all this shit going on out there that, you know, sometimes things do, do get physical, you know? So like my way of teaching or my way of coming up with techniques and getting my curriculum going was in the old days, it was fighting in the street. But then with, when I started getting more popular, I had a lot of fighters. So I was like doing these techniques. I said, try this in your next fight, see if this works. You know, I got, I got Chuck had the, you know, the, the certain kick that he worked on Babalu, then this other strike that worked on such and such. So you, it's like a, have like a micro, you have like a, uh, like a, a, a Petri dish where you can do all this stuff and then watch it grow. Or you could do a, you know, or you could say it like you're teaching, you're, you're, you're seeing how it works in the real world. You're like, it's the acid test, you know? So we, we, uh, I could do that now because I had fighters. So I could, is that technique going to work? What if you do this? What are the takedown defense? And I was big on takedown defense back in the eighties. I mean, back in the eighties, I realized that when I opened my first gym and I told the first guy, when he said, what are the rules in sparring? I said, there's no rules, bro. And that's when I thought I was going to be the tough guy and I was going to be the original Kaja Kempo guys. That's how they did it, you know? But I realized really quick because I was a professional, I was like the number one kickboxer in the world, you know, and I was like, so I could kick people and punch them. So I realized real quick, they wanted to take me down real quick. Even somebody that never wrestled, maybe played football in high school, he knew a tackle. A tackle is a takedown, guys. It's the same thing. So I realized real quick that people were taking me down more than they were willing to stand up and strike with me. So we started working on takedown defense like in the 80s. So that's where you can start working your stuff. You see a lot of it in the street watching videos, but then you also can watch a lot of it in the UFC. Almost all the techniques trans, trans, translate to both or transfer over. Well, we're going to wrap up soon here, but <clears throat> what I'm going to say before we go I guess I'm going to have to do another podcast about what we can do about the future of Kaja Kembo because we could obviously spend a complete hour just on that subject. So I will be like a to be continued one day. We'll, we'll get together with another panel and talk about what can be done for the market, like marketable Kaja Kembo, what that would look like. But I do want to thank Ron, John and Rob for, for joining joining me to talk about what is Kaja Kembo. I think, I think we definitely knocked that one out of the park. And we need um, to find it perfectly. <laughs> no one can contradict us. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. nobody. I'm going to post this on the Kajiko Country and everyone's going to agree because that's what we all everyone's do, right? Everyone's going to love me. <laughs> please, please, let's not, let's, let's not no. do another hashtag boycott the pit. Let's not, let's not cause that again. I just got through that one. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, to my listeners, thank you for checking out the show, and we'll catch you all next time. <laughs> Peace, Peace John, Rob. Hey, Rob. Hey, guys. Good to meet y'all. Hey, guys.